0: This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Today, we are venturing into the depths of the Minneapolis underworld for a tale of the city's most infamous gangster, Isidore Blumenfeld, a.k.a. Kid Can. Now, most infamous is a bit of a subjective characterization, but I don't think any name rivals Kid Cans in the criminal history of Minneapolis. There was a time when it wasn't uncommon to see the name Kid Can emblazoned in large letters on the front page of local newspapers. In some cases, these were huge headlines that ran the entire width of the front page, like, kid can placed on trial and kid can is killer eyewitness says so it's understandable that he became a household name a reader wanted to know more about this fascinating figure from the city's past and joining us today is reporter andy mannix who profiled blumenfeld for curious minnesota here's my conversation with andy well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. So, all right. Uh, first of all, this is office serendipity moment. Uh, I'm talking to a colleague about how we have this question about Kid Can, and then it turns out you used to live somewhere that's very relevant to Kid Can. Yeah. I
1: lived in the uh, apartment building that a journalist named Walter Liggett had lived in and was killed in the alley behind it in 1935. And... Kid Can was tried for that assassination of this journalist who who was a great critic of Kid Can.
0: Right, which we're going to get into. But that's kind of what launched you. I was like, hey, well, then you should do it. <laughs> you yeah. should do the story then. I Yeah,
1: I've always kind of been interested in learning more about Kid Can. You know, I lived there 12 years ago, but I, I was a journalist, you know, then. And I was sort of like, I had never heard this story before about a journalist being murdered by a mobster in, in Minneapolis. Um, so I've always been kind of interested in learning more about that. And and so, yeah, when I heard you, you mention this one, uh, my ears perked up.
0: Right, Kid Can is the most famous gangster, likely, yeah. in the city's history.
1: He was extremely famous. He was well-known. People would recognize him on the street. People have sent me many emails and, and left me many voicemails since we published this story about some story about their dad or grandfather playing poker with Kid Can or going hunting with them. Or he would come into their store. So So this guy was extremely well-known in Minneapolis for decades.
0: Okay, so Kid Can is not, it's a nickname, which which he hated, which we'll talk about in a second, but his name is Isidore Blumenfeld. What's his backstory? So he was born in uh, Romania, he was Jewish,
1: and he moved to Minneapolis with his family in, I believe 1902, when he was probably one or two years old. And they came by way of Duluth, settled in North Minneapolis, as a lot of particularly Jewish immigrants did back then. Yeah, so he grew up on the on the streets of Minneapolis.
0: You paint a very colorful picture of him trying to like make a buck on the streets of Minneapolis.
1: Yeah, it was a hard life for people like him. His dad was a peddler of, you know, trinkets of of some kind. It was a, a very anti-semitic time. Minneapolis was considered one of the most anti-semitic cities in America at this time. So there there just weren't a lot of opportunities for a young Romanian Jewish immigrant who, you know, didn't have a lot of wealth in his family. So he and his two brothers would make money doing things like finding a a bus transfer or a newspaper in the garbage and and reselling them, delivering coffee for a nickel, pickpocketing, just any way they could, you know, make a dime here or there. Mm -hmm. That's how they were doing it.
0: Okay. So sort of fast forwarding here a little bit, prohibition in 1920, you know, alcohol is banned throughout the land and uh, throughout the country. And I was just watching a a documentary about this and it it really focuses on how prohibition turned a lot of maybe small time criminals into sort of big uh, money making criminals. And Kid Can is a perfect example of that, Uh, just like Capone in Chicago, maybe on a smaller scale. So prohibition is really where Kid Can blossoms into a big name.
1: Absolutely, he went from in prohibition, small time street urchin, small time hustler, to a millionaire. You know who would become, in many people's eyes, sort of the boss of uh, of the criminal underworld here in Minneapolis. You know, and you can imagine someone with the sort of street knowledge he had, that that grit, that ambition that he had. You know, to prosper in, in a time where there was a lot of people who wanted alcohol. There's a lot of people who felt very conflicted about prohibition, and he was able to to get it for them. He was able to keep the Twin Cities wet for all of prohibition through a booze ring that was, it was very sophisticated. It went, it, you know, it wasn't just he had like a still in his bathtub or something like that. He would travel to Canada. He would travel down to uh, New Orleans and you know work with other people like him to funnel booze into. Uh, Minneapolis and, and St. Paul. He at one point was going to Cuba and flying Cuban rum into Minneapolis and St. Paul, and he became very well known as sort of the guy to go to uh, back then if you you know if you wanted champagne for your daughter's wedding or or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So and and in this process, he made millions of dollars, which which is uh, still I think a tremendous amount of money. Right. But certainly in the 1920s, early 1930s. That was a a hell of a lot of money. So he was very,
0: very successful. And he develops this nickname around this period, which, you know, eventually the newspapers would really solidify it. I I don't know if they came up with it, but I mean, probably not. But I mean, that's where it really became linked to him inextricably. But what's the deal with Kid Can? His name's Isidore. It's not Kid There's no Can anywhere in his name. No.
1: And I didn't know this until I started researching the story, but he hated this nickname. It's not really definitive where the origin of Kid Can derives, but the two stories are one being he was a boxer as a young man and and Kid Can is, you know, it was like his boxing persona and it stuck. No evidence that he ever actually did box. So maybe that theory is uh, not accurate. The other one is that whenever the shooting would start, he would go and hide in the bathroom or, you know, in the parlance of the time, the can. Mm. So you can imagine why he would not want people to call him that to his face.
0: Right. And and he said uh, once, and you quote this in the story, that's just a name the politicians or the newspapers use when they want to blame someone for something. All you hear in this town is kid can this and kid can that. He's clearly not happy with it. And does he ever sort of go to jail for all this bootlegging that he does?
1: So part of the kid can story is he, They just could not get anything to stick. He was arrested all you know several times for bootlegging. Somehow he would just skate without spending a single night in jail. Uh, there, there's one story I found where he he was indicted in New Orleans and he just didn't show up for his trial and they just dropped the charges. Uh, so some you know all these different ways he would get out of it. This became a reputation he began to develop during Prohibition of being sort of untouchable or, or just finding a way to, to skate, uh, and and then that that would translate
0: in in a very big way to his larger story. He did get charged once with a shooting, right? And this plays into something we're going to talk about in a second. But that, what well, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So there are two stories I found, both of which he
1: was uh, essentially a suspect in, in a shooting. One of them was, uh, and this was during the Prohibition era, there was this big argument be- between him and like a cab driver, and he ends up shooting a guy uh, in the spine and paralyzing him, and the guy eventually dies, uh, while the Hennepin County Attorney's Office says that was an accident. Uh, a few years later, there, there are these two Minneapolis police patrolmen who are shot? Neither fatally. I don't. I don't think. But you know, Kid Can is is named as a suspect, and he is actually charged in that one. Later on, though, the charges are dropped after the Hennepin County Attorney says that there just isn't enough evidence to pursue the charges. And the Hennepin County attorney is a guy named Floyd B. Olson, who would go on to become an important part of the Kid Can legacy.
0: Right. OK. So Prohibition ends uh, early 30s. But, uh, you know, Kid Can, he's, a, he's got a huge, you know, empire now and he's running a lot of it from uh, the Flame Cafe, which had a couple different names. But the building is still there on Nicollet Avenue. Yep. W- w- he's like a, you describe him as sort of a fixer. I mean, what is he doing back there? This is also a time of a lot of corruption in the city.
1: Yeah, this is a time where where corruption is pretty rampant uh, in Minneapolis. Kid Can is now sort of a power broker. You know, he's holding court in, in the Flame Cafe with beautiful women, with, with, you know, politicians. He's a very well-known figure by the end of Prohibition. And he becomes very influential in things like, if you want a liquor license— Uh, If you want a nosy inspector to go away, if you need to bribe someone in City Hall, which was apparently quite easy back then, Kid Can was the guy to go to. And this was a very different time where that was all
0: just kind of business as, as usual. So you referenced when we started this conversation, this journalist getting shot, that journalist is Walter Liggett. It, this is a very key part of the Kid Can story. It's not just another shooting. This is really the, the big thing that, that um, it still lingers around his legacy a lot. So first of all, so who is Walter Liggett? Who is this guy that is the, at the center of that tale?
1: So Walter Liggett is a journalist. He had worked at the New York Times. He had worked for some of the big papers over the years. Uh, he was well known as, as sort of a labor activist. And at at the time of Kid Can, he and his wife, Edith, are publishing their own weekly newspaper called The Midwest American. And in the, The Midwest American, they are really going after the political corruption in Minneapolis. So Liggett in this time particularly sets his sights on Floyd B. Olson, the governor of Minnesota, a larger-than-life figure in in his own right, who sort of brought the Farmer Labor Party to the mainstream. This is it, the
0: former again. This is the former prosecutor that we talked about earlier, who's now become governor at this yep. point.
1: he was a rising star, Floyd B. Olson. Exactly. He was that. He had been the Hennepin County attorney. He's now the governor of Minnesota. He's rumored to be, you know running for president of the United States. Uh, the, you know this, this is a very influential, very powerful person in Minnesota. And you have Walter Liggett writing that he is in bed with the mob, that he's selling political positions to immoral people, that he and, and people like Kid Can are doing business together. you know, And he is really going after him. He writes, I think it was like 10 reasons Floyd B. Olson should be impeached, included in every single weekly copy of the Midwest American. Mm-hmm. He sends a copy to every single legislator in Minnesota. He does speeches about how, how Floyd B. Olson is this corrupt man who needs to be essentially removed from office. He was more than just a squeaky wheel. He, I think, really threatened Floyd B. Olson's future in a way. And he starts getting like threatening calls and then more than threatening calls. Right, threatening calls, people telling him to stop, and he and his wife continue writing about this in the, the newspaper. One time he is beaten up by uh, essentially a band of hoodlums uh, that he says was was led by Kid Can uh, and and his wife, Edith, writes about it in the Midwest American, says that uh, Kid Can tried to bribe him to stop writing these things. He said no, so they beat him up. The police say uh, Walter was drunk and started a fight. Uh, so you kind of get these two different versions. And by the way, great uh, photo that Eric found in the story of Walter Liggett after getting beaten up. And then, so this is 1935, uh, you you have that fall, these charges come down from the Hennepin County Attorney's Office that, this, that say that he was involved in some kind of statutory sexual assault. And he says, this is a frame up. You know, I'm being framed by my critics to silence me. And, and he's ultimately found not guilty of those charges. And then a few weeks later, he's assassinated.
0: And this is where we get back to that apartment building, which is right near Stephen Square yep. in Minneapolis. Right right um, along
1: Stephen Square Park there.
0: And it's like, I mean, this is sort of like a very theatrical scene, uh, right? I mean, it's wintertime. There's a car pulling down an alley with Liggett and his family in it, and then there's another car behind them.
1: Yeah, it's straight out of a movie. Liggett gets out, motions for his family to stay in the car. A Tommy gun appears out of the the you know driver's window. And guns him down, five shots, tight circle around the heart. The, you know, professional hit, not not like someone's sh- just shooting uh, and there. You know, stray bullets everywhere. This is like this is a professional hit. You, you can tell mm-hmm. right away. And then you know, there's there's a there's a photo of you know the cigar chomping detectives and and journalists standing around this this body. Edith, his wife, kind of cradling her dying husband. But he shot, saw who did it. She said. And she says, I saw who did it. I saw his snarling smile. It was Kid Can. Wow. And this is 1935? December 9th, 1935. So Kid Can is named as a suspect immediately in the paper. And he says, I've got an airtight alibi. I was at the barbershop getting my weekly shave and and what have you. In downtown Minneapolis. And there are plenty of people who will account for my whereabouts. Mm
0: -hmm. And so this is sort of like... This is uh, a trial of the century is a cliche and probably not even accurate, but this is a big deal. This trial of Kid Ken, because it's like they maybe finally got something on this guy. Uh, totally. and, and so every everybody's swarming suddenly around this event.
1: And yeah, and just to, to really briefly set the scene here, he was the third journalist who was murdered. Liggett like was. Yep, Liggett in a period of about two years. Uh, so this drew tons of national attention to, to have someone who was a critic of Floyd Olson, of Kid Can of, of of all these people you know murdered in this way. Um, it, it became a national and and eventually international story. You know it, it knocked the Lindbergh baby story off the front page. You, we had journalists from London coming here to cover the trial. You know the New York Times. Th- this was a big deal. This was not that sort of run of the mill corruption. Uh, that that Minneapolis and America was used to at that mm-hmm. time. This was something qu- quite a lot more sinister,
0: right? And the reason there's still this sort of mystery surrounding this event is that can after this big trial, which we won't get into all the de- details of, he is not he's acquitted, and so it's kind of like okay, well, you know, I mean, he was never convicted of this.
1: Yeah, it goes to the jury. And they come back 90 minutes later. it you know, wasn't one of these like drawn out for weeks kind of stories. The jury comes back says, not guilty. And there are pictures of him in the, the newspaper the next day, you know kissing the hands of the female jurors who acquitted him uh, in this three piece suit. And, and you can as you can imagine, this really solidifies his reputation as Minneapolis's most famous gangster.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is 35 um, and and the trial around then. 36, yeah. 36, and so we sort of, you know, he he doesn't disappear from the scene, he's still around, and we're gonna sort of fast forward again, and we talked about this on a past episode, but he becomes involved in the Twin Cities Rapid Transit company and sort of ultimately the dismantling of the streetcar system, uh, which sent a lot of people to prison. But not Kid Can. Yeah, and
1: we had this great streetcar system. It's sort of bought up by a bunch of people, including Kid Can, by a bunch of investors. And and he would say, I was in, I was a businessman. I was investing in all kinds of different affairs. Uh, you know, th- this was one of them. But yeah, a lot of people go to prison for or are charged at least. You know, for for this racketeering scandal. Kid Can once again skates.
0: Right, I mean, essentially, what was happening was they were the in the dismantling. They're they're selling all these assets at like heavily reduced rates, and then there's kind of like allegations of kickbacks and Kid Cans connections to some of the companies that are receiving these things. And um, anyway, so and if you if you're really interested in that, we had another episode on it, which I'll link to uh, in the show notes. It's such a fascinating
1: facet of of all this and just like Minneapolis history because this really paved the way way for what Minneapolis is, is now in some ways, right? Right.
0: So just like Al Capone, another famous gangster, Kid Can, the reason he went to prison ultimately was not because of some of the crimes he was most known for. So why did Kid Can go to jail? Because he did go to prison for a couple of years. So Kid Can finally
1: gets busted. He's charged with a, a statute that I, I don't think is around anymore, but it was called like the White Slave Traffic Act. And this and, would
0: be in, what, what's the time period here? Because the, the streetcar stuff was in the late 50s. So now we're in the early 60s. Yeah, we're in the 19- 1960s, and uh, you know,
1: basically, the, he he became very enamored with a specific prostitute from Chicago, and he would pay her to to come spend time with him. Uh, there was a lot of interest from the federal authorities in, in investigating Kid Khan's sex life. Uh, he's found. And, and we should
0: just point out that part of the way we know about the interest in his sex life is because Paul Maccabee, who is a key source for this story, we should point out, yeah. he's done a lot of research around Kid Can and was very helpful for this story. That he did some FOIAing. He he sort of probed into that a bit.
1: Yeah, and and thanks for saying that. Paul Maccabee, who, who's written a lot about Kid Can, he he wrote a book about John Dillinger and sort of the gangster world here. He put in a FOIA request for a bunch of these federal. Uh, law enforcement files of, of Kid Can and found that immigration services were investigating him. They discovered that he was bringing this prostitute in to to spend time with him from Chicago, crossing state lines. You know, we we could get him with this. And they do. And he goes away. Yep. So he goes to Leavenworth Federal Prison. Uh, I, I think spends a lot of that time in a hospital, H- his health declining at this point in a prison hospital. Uh, I think he serves about three and a half Years in in prison, so that's the first time that Kid Can really you know spent some real time. But it's not a life sentence by any means. You know he he gets out and and he's sort of back to business in a way. And he's done with this town. But he's done. He, he headline in uh, I don't know if it was the Star or Tribune says Kid Can sells out. He's he's leaving Minnesota. So he finally decides he he's had enough. He tells you know the the newspaper men that he's sick of being. You know he's not going to get kicked around by. By uh, Minneapolis anymore. Right. He's going to Florida. He's got enough money where he doesn't need to do any deals anymore. This is what he says. Um, you know, he's sick of being called a mobster. All this stuff. So he moves to Florida. And a few years later, the Miami Herald does a fantastic investigative story, uh, tallying up sort of the, the the organized crime interests in building this city called Miami Beach and who owns the most seafront property of uh, of anybody. Uh, Kid Can, wow, and he's teamed up with. Well, he's got a bunch of the the Minneapolis Syndicate, as they were called. His his sort of, uh, uh, you know, local mob here. A bunch of them were 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 involved in this uh, as well as a guy named Meyer Lansky, who you know we could do a whole podcast episode on him. But uh, probably the most famous member of the mafia that was not Italian. He was a Jewish. Immigrant, I think, just just like uh, Kid Can. So they they teamed up together and essentially built what is now Miami Beach.
0: Okay. And so Kid Can's ultimate sort of death was not, you know, he didn't die in a, in a sort of barrage of bullets or something like that. He just sort of died of, was it like heart disease or something like that? Yeah, bad heart. Old
1: Yep. 81 years old, 80, uh c- Presumably extremely wealthy still. Yeah. Um, yeah, li- living in Florida. So he did not have that ending that, that you know, a lot of these,
0: these famous gangsters did. Um,
1: he, you know, he did pretty well for himself.
0: Yeah. Well, Andy, this is such a fascinating story. I think Kid Can is one of these names that, um, I don't know, if if you read uh, enough about local history, you sort of come across this name a fair amount. But I never really knew the full story. And I had heard the Liggett story, but I didn't know why it was so important to to Kid Can's story. And so I I appreciate you putting this all together for us uh, in this story.
1: Uh, well, it was it was loads of fun to, to dive into the archives and sort of learn all of this stuff. And and also, by the way, as a crime reporter, to see how they uh, reported on crime back then. So fascinating. Right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for writing this up for us.
0: Thank you, Eric. Okay, that's it for today's episode. Thanks, as always, to Matt Gilmer for editing this podcast. If you've got feedback for us or a question you'd like to see answered, send us a note at curious at startribune.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay
1: curious.